Will you please pray with me? Father, it is true that many live their lives, that we often live our lives with a so what attitude about Jesus. So what that he became man? So what that he was tired and thirsty? So what that he experienced our pain? So what? But Father, it's, it's in the answer to the so what that we find life, that we find meaning, that we find joy. So God, we ask that the Spirit of the living God would fall afresh upon us. That, Lord, we would live our lives because of this. And be able to answer anyone who says, so what about Jesus? And say, for the glory of it all. For the beauty of of it all, for the making new of all things, Jesus suffered. The so what gives us the meaning in our lives that we long for. So come and speak. Speak clearly to the questions that still plague us so we can see afresh the reality of God in flesh. Let let us embrace a Savior that that has flesh and blood. Let Let us see and stop believing pierced hands and feet. Let us let us understand a a crown of thorns. Let us get and receive great joy through a Savior, through a God who can relate to us because He became one of us. Speak, God of our sorrows, God of all suffering, because many of us are suffering in sorrow right now. Speak so that we can hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This week I uh, read a story of a man in North Carolina, a man that God got a hold of his life, and getting a hold of this man's life, he in turn wanted to give his life back to God. And as a young man, he dedicated his life to the Lord. It says, I'm, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and I'm going to serve him on a foreign field. And God had gifted him with an intellect to go along with a great uh, submissive heart. And so he studied to prepare for the mission field. He earned himself three doctorate degrees, two in theology and one in medicine. And he took his pregnant wife to a remote part of Africa to give his life serving others, to tell them about the good news of Jesus, to take all these gifts and all this education and apply it to advance the kingdom of God. And he went like so many of us uh, called to serve God. And by the way, that's all of us that are his. But in a particular way, this missionary, he just dreamed of grand things, big things, uh, world-changing things. I mean, he had surrendered his life. He's been well-educated. He was going to a very dark place. And the reality of the difficulty of ministry, unbelief, hit him right in the face. I mean, four years go by. Four years go by of, of loving their neighbors, serving their neighbors, witnessing to their neighbors. And in those four years, not one 
tribesman or woman or child ever came to a worship service. Oh, for four years. And on top of that, unbelievable tragedy hit their family, like it does to so many of these missionary families. And their oldest son became ill. And the illness led to death, the death of their firstborn son. And and they're dealing with the pain and the anguish of leaving home, leaving all that they've known, knowing that they were far away from really good medical help that maybe would have been able to save their son's life. And now a dad had to do what no dad ever wants to do, bury his son. Make a simple coffin. Place a lifeless body and air your hopes, your dreams into a coffin and take him outside of the camp and bury him. Very simple little procession of family. A grieving family as we all can only imagine. But one tribesman, one African went with them. From a distance, he didn't want to be seen necessarily. Really wasn't a part of this, but this was new. This was a new experience. He watched, he watched as a father dug a son's grave. Overcome with grief, the father buries his face in African soil and weeps. And the African tribesmen came over and picked up the missionary's head by his hair, looked into his weeping face, Gently placing it again back in the soil. And he ran. And he ran exclaiming news, proclaiming this news to all in his village. The white men cry like we do. The white men weep like us. The next week, for the first time in worship service, they had visitors. And it was through the suffering of that family, through the loss of a son, that a church was born that is still in existence. And the church didn't exist until suffering penetrated that community. And the truth is, that is this church's story too. Oh no, there's some great differences in the story. But truly, this church doesn't exist until a God would come in the form of God's Son and suffer for us. So that we can become a church. Any church today that gathers around the world worships and gathers a Savior who lives and who loves. But we gather and worship this God because He suffered. Suffering is the way home. Suffering is the way that God leads us to himself. The church exists because God's family suffered and died. And because of his death, we now can have life. Turn with me to an incredible passage of Hebrews chapter 2. It's in the back of your Bibles. The epistle uh, uh, of Hebrews unknown author, incredible book uh, in God's uh, uh, holy scriptures. 
We're going to look at verses 10 through 18 in chapter 2. We're going to skip to chapter 4 and look at verses 14 through 5.10. Now as you're hearing God's Word being read to you, and as you are reading along with your Bibles in your lap, or maybe seeing the words on your screen, let me call your attention to the incredible true humanity of Jesus. A God who would enter into our pain. No, no, no. A God who does more than enter into our pain. A God who will experience suffering and pain unlike any other. Even the totality of all of our suffering is pale in comparison to a God who would love so much that He would enter into suffering. Through the suffering, uh, He will be given a title, a high priest. I'll tell you more about that as we go along. But let's listen to God's Word in awe today. Let's Let's get fresh ears to a loving God and and just be in amazement of how much He would love us that His Son, God Almighty, would put on flesh and dwell among us. Hebrews 2.10 In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, or maybe yours says the author of their salvation, or the captain of their salvation, or the initiator of salvation. But it's basically saying this, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, by whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what He suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. It really just says there that they are one. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, unbelievably, I will declare, and by the way, he's quoting Psalm 22, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. As we sing, if we listen clearly, we can hear a Savior singing along us, uh, with us and over us. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, He says, Here I am and the children uh, God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity. So that by His death... He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who, uh, who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Adam's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way, in order that he might become, interesting words here, a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heavens, if you were here last week, we talked about Paul talking about being ascended to the third heaven. This is paradise. This is the one who's gone to the ultimate point of paradise with the Father. 
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is anointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as as the sins of the people. Now, by the way, this isn't talking about Jesus. This is talking about an earthly high priest. Jesus doesn't have to offer sacrifice for his sins. Why? It clearly says he was without sin. But it's showing to us right here that a high priest could relate to the people because he was weak. And it's showing to us that through Jesus' weakness, he relates to us as well. Verse 4. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when uh, when, when called by God, just as Aaron, the first high priest, was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, quoting Psalm 110, You are my son, today I become your father. And he says in another place, You are my priest forever in the order of uh, Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. This is what a priest does. And he, he was heard because of his reverence and mission. Now here's where I really want you to focus. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you relate to us. No matter who is sitting in these chairs right now, no matter what their life story, what chapter they're on in their life story, no matter how much suffering or sorrow or pain, We have a God who relates because he's been there. He knows our pain. Father, we need to be reminded of the suffering and the pain of Jesus so that we can boldly come to you. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand, hearts to embrace, and feet to walk in a manner worthy. Speak through a broken sinner that desperately needs to hear the truth of this story. May you and you alone receive glory. May we receive great joy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It starts off in 2.10. And it's going to tell us the reason for the whole story. It starts off by saying, here's the point of the whole thing. Don't you love it when you hear a story and someone who wants to communicate with you will say right from the beginning, let me tell you the whole point up front so you don't get lost. Let me tell you right from the beginning so as you hear this story, you'll understand what I'm trying to do. This is what Scripture gives to us. God is going to tell us the point of the whole story. And it's this. Look again in verse two, chapter 2, verse 10. 
and bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that's the whole point, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Amazing. Here's what it says. It says that it's about God. God is the one who created everything. It says this. He's the point of all creation. It was created by him and for him. And yet, the one who created everything for himself, that he created to reveal his glory, the point, unbelievable. Hear this incredible story. The point that he created everything was to bring sons and daughters to glory. The point of God's creation and redemption that's seen in Jesus Christ is so that you and I will know him, love him, be set free by him, be in his presence, so that we will experience glory. That's the whole point of it all. And I love it says this, that he's going to bring many sons to glory. And oh, my heart starts pounding with great excitement that it does not say that the work of Jesus brings many sinners to glory. Of course, we're all sinners. And of course, that is what God does. But the point is this. We see a God who would love sinners like us before time would begin. Saying, I'm going to set a love on sinners that are my own. I'm going to call them my sons and daughters. I'm going to make them holy. I'm going to bring them into my family. I'm going to make them one. They're going to be mine. No one can ever snatch them out of my hands. I'm going to give them glory. I'm going to put them in my presence. They're going to shine with me. They're going to rule and reign with me. These are my sons and daughters that I've loved for eternity. So if you're suffering, and if you're in pain and sorrow, which all of us will go through, and probably, and I know many are, the point of the story, the point of creation, the point of recreation is so that we will be given God's glory, that sons will be ushered in to glory. That's the whole point of it all. And here's what it's saying to us. It's amazing. God becomes like us so that we can become like him. By nature, we're not filled with glory. Scripture tells us by nature, we're children of wrath. By nature, we're separated from God. The truth is, we are so separated from God by our sins, we can never build that stairway to heaven. We can never cleanse ourselves enough to get there, to get God's glory. God had to come to us. Do you understand that? We couldn't get to him. We're lost without him, but by God's grace, he became one of us so that we could become like him. Let me say it another way. He shares in our flesh and blood. Jesus, the eternal God, took on flesh and blood. And by the way, he continues to have it. Right now, Jesus is fully God, fully man, and has still that flesh and blood. When he was resurrected, he said to Thomas, go ahead and touch me. It's a resurrected body, but I still have flesh and blood. And for all eternity, this incredible Jesus is going to be fully God, fully man, in flesh and blood. But listen, he shares our flesh and blood so that we can share his victory. So we can be made in his family. He enters into suffering so that we can enter into glory. He becomes one of us so that we can become one with him. At the end of Jesus' life, John, in the Gospel of John, It starts in chapter 12. It goes to the end of the Gospel of of John. And it's all about one week of his life. And in John 17, 
It's called Jesus' High Priestly Prayer. He's praying to his Father. It's an incredible prayer. And you think that when you're about ready to go into your greatest trial, when you're about ready to go and, and bear the sins of the world, when you think that you're about ready to be pierced on a Roman cross, you might start praying for yourself. You might say, you know what? Just be all about me. But you know who Jesus was all about? His Father's glory. And he was all about you and me being rescued. And his prayer to his Father was this. He says, Father, we're one. We've always been one. We're always going to be one. The only time that they were ever separated was on that cross. And he cried out in Psalm, like Psalm 22 predicted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he prayed that prayer. He says, God, for all those you gave me, those sons and daughters before time began, all those that we have loved from the beginning, make them one with me. Make them one with you. Bring them into the family. May we be one family, just one. Make us one. And for, for you and me to be made one, God had to become one of us. He had to suffer. You see, his sufferings were for our glory. His suffering was for our glory and being brought in to his family. And then we realize, and the second point is this, the lessons that are only learned, that suffering teaches, that only suffering teaches. The lessons that only suffering teaches. Turn with me again to, to Hebrews 5. Verse 8. You read this, and you have to read it twice because you do a double take. Because it makes it sound like Jesus is in process so much that maybe he wasn't perfect. What is this really saying? Listen, listen, to, listen to what Hebrews 5.8 says. Son, though he was, though he is, and though he will always be, Son though he is, was, he learned obedience. He learned obedience from what he suffered. What does that mean? How, how does God learn? Scripture makes it pretty clear that Jesus is God. Scripture makes it clear he's perfect. How does he learn? How does he learn obedience? The first thing we got to realize is this. It doesn't mean that he went from disobedience to obedience. Sometimes we want our kids to learn obedience, usually when they're being disobedient. Praying, please, Lord Jesus, give him obedience. Teach us, give us wisdom. We need obedience. Because all we got right now reigning is disobedience. But that's not the case with Jesus. He didn't have to learn dis uh, obedience because he was disobedient. He had to learn for the first time what it meant to be obedient. We're going to get into some theological waters for just a minute. But will you hang with me? Can you lean into this for a little while? Jesus fully God... Same in substance with the Father, one true and living God. Um, ontologically, or in his being, has all the same qualities of God. Uh, never uh, Equal, equal planes. 
And yet, for you and for me to become sons of glory, for you and me to have that one family, for you and me to know that our suffering will come to an end and we'll see Him face to face, He, Jesus, fully God, fully equal with the Father, decides, agrees to with the Father, that He will submit to the Father. He will submit. He will lower Himself. He will come to earth and say, I am not going to do my own will, although he rightfully could because he's what? Fully God, equal to the Father. He's going to say, I'm going to surrender all of that and I'm going to do nothing except what the Father tells me. I'm going to learn what it means by living out obedience. I'm going to become obedient even to the point of death, even to the point of death on the cross. I'm going to become obedient even to the point where I'm in a garden, Jesus is saying, sweating drops of blood, anguishing, knowing that I'm going to bear the sins of the world, knowing that I'll be separated from my Father, knowing that He he dreaded the cup, He dreaded the cross, because He's like us, human. He says, please, can this cup pass from me? Do I have to go through the cross? Do they have to be pierced? What does He say? But not my will, but your will be done, Father. He learned obedience even to the point of death. He demonstrated it. He learned what it fully meant to obey. Again, even to the point of death. If you look at uh, 2.14. Since the children has flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of death, of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. He had to learn obedience. He had to model it. He had to say, this is God's will. Here's the point for us. There's some lessons that we can only learn through suffering. And I love the fact that God, God doesn't beat around the bush with us. He, he, he tells us, he says, listen, If you're my child, I'm going to treat you like a child. And every child I have, I'm going to discipline. And if you want to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. And and that's the way home, and that's the reality. And there's some lessons that we can only learn, as Jesus could only learn, through suffering. What lessons is he teaching you right now? How are you handling class? What's your posture like? Our natural and flesh, we want to say, take this from me. I don't want to suffer anymore. Remove this thorn. Remember last week? Please, get me out of this class. Let me drop this one. Remember those beautiful classes in college you can drop? Tell your parents you just spent some money you shouldn't have. He knows what he's doing. My brothers and sisters, my friends, my family, he knows what he's doing. And some of you right now are in a class you don't want to be in. And some of you right now are going through trials that you want to be over with. And, and I'm praying that they will be quickly over. And I don't understand. Some of those things we bring on ourselves with our own bro- brokenness and sinfulness. But some of the things that God does, that he only teaches us through suffering. But he's good and he's a great teacher. As I, as I live my life, some of the hardest things to swallow is when Something happens to us that someone else doesn't have to endure. Especially if, let's say, you are in a class with someone, or let's even say you're on a team with somebody, and the coach 
this kid's on the team, and that kid always gets the special treatment. And you think, come on, it's just not fair. I don't care what you're going through. I mean, I care, but it doesn't matter what you're going through. We can never look to the Father and say, but what about your son, Jesus? What about our big brother? We look to him, and we see a crown of thorns and pierced hands and feet, and we say, oh, okay, okay, okay. Your love, I can't understand it all the time, but it's not going to stop. And i got to realize that there's some things that you're going to teach me through suffering. Uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm trying to, the words that came to my mind I didn't want to say out loud. I, I'm, a, uh, I'm a wimp, okay? And, and I don't like pain, and I don't like you being in pain. And I'm balling up my fists and I'm banging on heaven's door for many of you saying, just quit it, God, please, I've had enough. But at the end of the day, we've got to trust that God's teaching us something. He's teaching this church something. We're in some difficult times right now. You can hear about it tonight. It's been humbling. But I know he's teaching me. I know he's there. Okay, we got we got to hustle. So thirdly, the perfecting that only suffering brings. Again, one of those incredible verses in 5.9. Go back with, to uh, chapter 5.9 with me. Let me read this. And once made perfect, he became the... Uh, and once made perfect, <laughs> he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. Again, it says this. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. We're going to talk about what it means to be made perfect through suffering. But what we got to realize is this. It doesn't mean that he went from imperfect to perfect. It means that what Jesus endured through suffering, through his life, it was displayed that he was the perfect one to be sacrificed. He is the perfect high priest. He is the perfect one to be our substitute. It's displayed perfection. Hey, how many of y'all are, are seminal fans? It's been pretty bad being a seminal fan for a long time, has it not? You know, free shoes, you, and all that stuff. It's probably been a long time. Um, right now, your football team is perfect. They're undefeated, right? I mean, uh, the Knowles have not lost a football game in 2008. They haven't lost an unblemished record. And you want to say, no, wait a minute. That doesn't count. They haven't played anybody. I mean, they haven't even had those fluff games in the beginning yet, you know? I mean, come on. Tell me about at the end of the season if they're still unblemished. Tell me when they've got into the trenches and they had those games, and then we'll talk about who's perfect. And this is what it's saying by being made perfect. Jesus had to come and show perfect obedience to the Father, be tempted in every way, and show that he is the perfect sacrifice for God to accept. He had to endure it all. And again, there's a difference between innocence and virtue. And he had to come and, and live a life here and show that he had all of that virtue. He has the perfect record because he's been tested in every way. Through scripture, we see Jesus' role clearly coming to us as one of a prophet, a priest, and a king. A prophet was one who spoke for God. This incredible Jesus spoke as God. A king is one who will come to rule and reign uh, for God. And he does rule in heaven and earth. But a priest is one who comes to intercede for us to God, to represent us to God and God to us. And Jesus has a unique way of doing that because he is both son of God and son of man. 
this week was an interesting week. We had prom week. I have a big night tonight. Uh, a lot of things are going on. Um, and on Tuesday night, I had a son's game on this field over here, a daughter's game of softball over here, um, getting phone calls between Katie and me, what is happening. I uh, got good news. There was a double hit. Uh, next news I get, we're going to the hospital. That was a squeeze play, a squeeze play at home. Um, she's making her way at home. She jumps over the catcher's mass. It's in the baseline. She slides in. She's safe. We win. She broke her fibula. So, you know, crutches for prom, those things kind of happen. But, you know, when you want to have a doctor, you know what kind of doctor you have for your daughter? You want to have one that's got a good bedside manner. One that says, you know, this really stinks. I feel your pain. You want someone who can empathize with you. But you want someone who's better than just empathizing with you. You want someone who's competent. You want someone who can say, you know what? We can fix her. We can fix her and get her back, and it's going to be okay. See, what Jesus is this. He both empathizes with us and he fixes us. He's got a great bedside manner because he's become one of us and he's suffered with us and he knows our pain and he's a great physician and he's also the great healer. That is who Jesus is. It says this, it says this, he became perfect high priest, perfect in mercy and perfect in faithfulness. What does it mean? His mercy for us. God can relate to us. Let me give you some ease. Because he can empathize with us. Um, Hebrews 4.15. Whatever you're going through, sometimes you're praying your prayers. You say, God can't hear me. God not only hears you, he understands you. He empathizes with you. He empowers you. It says that he became weak to help us in our weakness. He is here to help you. He's here to empower you. He's perfect in mercy towards you. He's perfect that he embraces us. I love the fact he says this. I call you Brothers. Is there anybody in your family that you're kind of embarrassed of? Is there anybody in the family reunions that you want to avoid? Is there anybody that's ever brought up to you in conversation and say, oh, they're related to you, and you say, uh, yeah, um, uh, it's distant, it's marriage, it's uh, something happened, I'm not sure. Jesus has every right to say, that's my brother, they're distant, I'm sorry, I'm not sure what happened, but he doesn't. Listen, if you're his child today, he rejoices over you. He is proud to call you brother, sister. Listen, he loves you. He's not ashamed of you. God is not ashamed of you, child of God. He is not ashamed of you. He's washed away your sins. He's robed you in his own beauty. And he delights in you. And he's proud to call you brother or sister. He's not embarrassed. You're not the black sheep of the family. Your skeletons are gone. They've been paid. He delights over us. Amen? Is it not excited? We don't have to be black sheep anymore. He embraces us. He loves us. He empowers us. And he calls us by name. He gives us eternal salvation. But he was also another thing we got to see. It was this. He was perfect in faithfulness. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. The only way the Father's justice could be satisfied, the only way that he could accept his sacrifice, the only way we could get it is if he was perfect. And without sin. You see, Jesus became perfect because he'll show you mercy and he'll give his father faithfulness. He'll say, I've done it. Everything you required, I did. My sacrifice is going to be sufficient. I'm going to usher them into the family. And now we can boldly approach God's grace. It's amazing. I, I, love, I love having my kids' friends over at our house. 
And they are really comfortable in our house. I sometimes come in the door and they're sprawled out on the couch. I think that maybe they'll jump up. They don't. Hey, Pastor Jakes. And uh, I love the fact they go in my refrigerator. They eat my food. We wrestle for it sometimes. Um, and they feel comfortable. But truly, my own kids have an entitlement that they don't have. Everything's theirs. I mean, rightfully, they could stare in the refrigerator and see an incredible refrigerator filled with food and cry out, there's nothing to eat. (laughs) But because they're a child of mine, they even have a different level. And they can boldly come into anything that we have and say, you're my child. That's what God has done for us. We now, listen, you're suffering, you can boldly go to the Father. Boldly, boldly to the throne room of grace and say, I belong, you love me. I belong, you've cleansed me. I belong, you set me free. I belong, you'll never drive me out. I'm not doing something here in your presence that Jesus isn't allowing me to because I come boldly as a child of the living God. Do you know that boldness? Do you know that joy? So what's the so what? Whitney came up here and said, so what? So what he became man? So what? I got three so what's as we close. One is this. Look to Jesus in your suffering. Look to Jesus in your suffering. He may not pull you out of the fire, but he'll walk with you. And if you notice, you look to him, you'll see some scars, and you'll notice he's walked through these battles before. Do you have that present help in the time of danger? Do you know that Jesus? If you don't, today's message for you is embrace him as Savior. But for all of you, for all of us, we need to look to Jesus in our suffering. Second one is this. Endure suffering as the way home. It calls Jesus the, 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 uh, the prince of our salvation, the captain. It could be, could be translated trailblazer. Jesus, listen, this is what Jesus did. He blazed a trail for sinners to follow that leads to God. And it included suffering. And he now says, walk in that trail. He's our trailblazer. And you will endure suffering on the way home. I wish I could tell you today, hey, good news, Orangewood. No more suffering, it's over with. That day's not here yet. Until he comes back or until you go home, you're going to suffer. But he's going to be with you. And he's going to use it for your good and his glory. And lastly, notice those who are suffering around you. Sometimes we get so consumed with our own pain, our own financial situation, our own marriage situation, our own kid situation. We get so myopic, so tunnel vision. The way he wants to help one another is by loving one another. The way he wants to love you is through your neighbor and vice versa. Please, will you look around? This is a great family, but this is a hurting family too. Let's make sure that we love all those around us. Next week, we're going to talk about the God of all comfort. Okay, we've been a couple weeks on suffering here, and some of you are saying, get us out of this, Jeff. Next week, listen, this is, we can't have a God of all comfort until we have a God of all sorrows, Right? And once we realize he's a God of all sorrows, there's really good news. He's the God of all comfort. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for a love of a son, a love that would be so great that you, Jesus, would become flesh and bones and live among us, that you would be tempted in every way, that you would learn what it means to be obedient to the Father, even to the point of death and death on a cross that you would be made the perfect sacrifice, perfect because you're merciful to us and perfect because you're faithful to the Father. 
And because of that, we now boldly can come into your presence as your children, throw open your refrigerator and say, all is here for our glory, the Father's glory, been provided by the Father because we are his children. Oh, what love you've lavished upon us, Father. Oh, what incredible work you've done for us, Jesus, coming and becoming one of us so that we could be entering into your glory. Hallelujah. And if we suffer on the way home, give us strength and give us joy because of this amazing love that you have for us, this amazing love that, Jesus, you would be pierced for us so that we could become one with you. Thank you. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Let's sing of this amazing love. Will you please stand?